So before I start, though, I just want to pray. So if you guys can just join me. So Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that, that you're with us today. I thank you that you want to meet these women right where they are. I thank you, God, that you sent down your son to have a relationship with us and to restore us to who we are always meant to be. I ask that if there's any fear or anxiety or thoughts distracting any of the women this morning, that you would just replace them with peace and love right now. And God, I love that you do this crazy thing where you know exactly what every single person in this room needs to hear from you. And so I pray right now that any words from me that are not meant for them, that they just fall away to the wayside and that you actually could change my words to directly meet what they need to hear from their God. And so I thank you that I am just your mouthpiece this morning and I ask that you just have your way in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I actually want to just start off with a scripture. Um, so it's in John chapter 5, verse 39 through 47. And I'm actually going to read this from the message translation. So if you think I'm a heathen for reading that translation, we can talk about it later. But um, I just really love how it's worded here. So John 5, 39 through 47. I think they might be able to pop it on the screen too if you didn't bring your Bibles, but you did because you guys are Calvary Chapel Church. <laughs> you read the word of God. Okay, so it says, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right before you. And you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say that you want. Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> okay, has anyone ever gone to a movie with a child that has seen a, the movie before? It's awful. Like, it's one of the worst experiences ever because all they do is ruin the movie for you. <laughs> My nieces and nephews love Disney movies but they always see it right when they, it comes out. So we go and the whole time they're like, Auntie Jessie, Auntie Jessie, so did you know that that guy's actually the bad guy and he's gonna kill that girl? And I'm like, no, I actually didn't know that because this is my first time seeing the movie. Or they're like, did you know Auntie Jessie that that princess, she's gonna become bad, but then this is what's gonna happen. I'm like, stop, please stop telling me. It has gotten so bad that my sister-in-law has to warn the kids now and say, listen, when you wanna tell Auntie Jessie what happens in the movie, just put your hands like this. And just wait, because she doesn't wanna know. She doesn't wanna know. How bad is it when the end of like a really suspenseful movie is told to you? It's totally ruined. I am like a victim of watching the show The Bachelor, which, whatever. But <laughs> I like it, but I don't, we don't have cable, so I watch it like through streaming. So I always don't see the last episode when the rest of the nation sees it. So we go into the grocery stores and I'm like, I can't look at the shelves because I can't know who won and who he picked and who got the rose. And my husband's like, oh, I, I know who it is. And I'm like, don't tell me. And then the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, well, is it her? Is it her? Do you know? I know that you know because I saw the magazine. And he's like, what's wrong with you? But it's the worst when the ending is spoiled. And it takes out all the suspense and all the drama and all the entertainment. And I wonder for how many of us, though, in our lives, just going through day to day, do we play movies in our head? Do we play situations? What if situations, like, what if I talk to this person and it goes like X, Y, and Z? Or what if I get this promotion and this is what happens? Or I confront my boss on this kind of weird situation happening and he does this? Or what if I start dating this guy and he decides to cheat on me? Or what if I have a child and we don't have enough money? Or all of these situations. And I believe that sometimes the enemy can play these movies in our head over and over and over again. And we live these imaginary stories 
that are just not even real. And we start to feel fear and anxiety, like, I don't, I don't know if I can make that move. I don't know if I can do that thing that God's telling me to do. I don't know if I can do my passion, because what if, what if, what if, what if, and we never ends up living the lives that we know that we're meant to live because we've lived it all in here. And so what I'm here to tell you guys today is I know how the movie ends. And the spoiler alert for your life is that Jesus is alive. So no matter what he's called you to, no matter what situation you've gone through, there's redemption for you, there's freedom for you, there's a calling and a purpose for you, and he's very, very, very much alive and present and working in every single detail in your life. That's good news. That is really good news. Jesus is alive and he cares. He really cares about your life. And so I want to just encourage you today that just from the very beginning, before we even go into a full day of like inspiring messages and revelation, just know that Jesus is actually real. I know that sounds like, Jesse, we know, like we go to church, but I'm here to tell you like he's really real. Like he's really, really real and he really cares. And so um, there is going to be an opportunity at the end here where I'm going to give you an invitation. And I know there have been some of you who are like, I made a decision to follow Jesus for 20 years and I faithfully served in church for 20 years and like that kid program would be garbage without me. And that's great. But what I want to say to you is there is a far cry difference between being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus and being a follower of a living Jesus. And I think oftentimes a lot of us are, and this is gonna be a little tough, but just hear me out. A lot of us are really good at following Jesus on the cross. We love the Jesus that forgives our sins, but we have a really hard time following resurrected Jesus. We have a hard time following a Jesus that actually has the power to change your life. We have a hard time following a Jesus that actually has the power to change your family's life and your coworker's life and the stranger on the street's life and the resurrected Jesus that might ask you to die to yourself or sell all your things or have an awkward conversation in the grocery store but we love the Jesus that offers us salvation and forgiveness and mercy. But that same Jesus gave us his spirit. And it says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit is dwelling within us. That's crazy. And we just go sometimes day to day wondering about how we're going to pay the bills and how we're gonna get through Monday. I remember we used to feel this thing called Sunday blues, like, oh, I have so much ahead of me in this week. And we forget, oh, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. So I wanna read to you from 1 Peter 1, three through five. And it says, and I'm okay if babies cry, you don't have to leave their room if you don't want, I, I get it. <laughs> um, so it says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, okay, so because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. So do you need purpose and meaning in your life? You have it. He was raised from the dead, including a future in heaven. That means that your salvation is not just for eternity one day when you die. That's just the extra bonus. You have a, a future and now it is. And it says, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life healed and whole. Okay, so who in the room has had popcorn before? If you're not raising your hand, that's just weird. <laughs> Like, if you've never had popcorn before, come find me after this, and I will go personally bring you to get popcorn. It's like just a staple cheap snack. But 
everyone has made popcorn at home before. And you have the bag and you put it in the microwave, right? I don't care what time it says on the microwave package, it's always wrong. <laughs> like it's either burned or just not cooked. <laughs> and uh, all the time I'm like watching patiently in the microwave and I'm like, it seems like it's kind of done popping, but now it smells like it's kind of burning. And the worst thing is, is when you open up a package of popcorn and like there's half a bag of kernels not popped, you're like, I just wasted 50 cents. Like, these kernels are not popped. But the most beautiful thing about popcorn is, is it's a delicious snack. And the thing that's funny about popcorn is once the heat is put onto the popcorn, it completely changes, right? So popcorn and kernels taste very different. And uh, I always love to use this illustration as this is what God is offering you. He's offering you a brand new life. So you, without Jesus, were a kernel. You're going through life in this bag, just hoping one day something would happen to you. And then Jesus comes into your life and you receive just the love of God that transforms you. And all of us know what it's like to be saved. It's like, you can't believe it. It's almost too good to be true, right? And guess what? He says he gives you a brand new life. And that kernel, the DNA of that kernel completely changes and becomes popcorn. But so many of us forget a year later that we were transformed. We forget that we've become popcorn and we're still thinking about our whole lives as kernel. And we're like, you know, you don't know what it was like as a kernel. My dad was really abusive as a kernel and I was abused as a kernel and you know, I, 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 I know that other people are great at being popcorn. But, you know, I just don't think that that's what's in the cards for me. And that's a big lie. The truth is, is that because Jesus has died and rose again, you have a brand new life, whether you believe it or not. And the thing is, is that you are not a victim. You're not a victim of your circumstances or your situations. You're victorious. And because of Jesus offering you this brand new life, everything changes for you. I was sexually abused as a child. I was raped in high school. I had a terminal illness in high school. Just like crazy things, one right after the other. Made terrible decisions in my college life. Just things right at shame and rejection and all these things building up. But the minute that I got saved, by the grace of God, I had that fresh revelation that, oh my gosh, I'm not a colonel anymore. I'm not a colonel anymore. Yeah, I was abused when I was a child, and that was a terrible, terrible thing. But Jesus, Jesus offers me a brand new life, and it is too good to be true. It is too good to be true, and I couldn't believe it. I was working in nightclubs at the time when I got saved, and I, I didn't know like what evangelism was. I just had to tell everyone because I couldn't believe it. I was like, did you know that like God is real? And did you know that like when you pray, he actually listens? Isn't that crazy? Like he created the whole entire universe. And I'm like, hi, God. And he's like, oh, Jesse's talking to me. That is insane. And we don't like to pray because it's boring or time consuming or we have other things to do. And he holds the stars in his hands and cares about your job and probably knows how to do it better than you do. Just an idea. Um, so I want to read to you guys from 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 20. Now, I'm a huge fan of Paul the Apostle, mostly because he's extremely sarcastic and I grew up in New York. And if you read scripture, sometimes you're like, what, Paul? <laughs> like, can you say that? And then you're like, oh, you're Jewish. You can totally say that because anyone that has a lot of Jewish friends, usually they're highly sarcastic. 
And so I always laugh when Paul says things because I'm like, is that sarcasm or are you serious? <laughs> but one of the things he says in 1 Corinthians, I love, and it says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Time out, that is so crazy. He's saying that all of this is pointless if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. So that, a little self-evaluation for a second. If you are not living your life like Jesus actually raised from the dead, you could possibly be a false witness. Because the resurrection matters so much. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying if this one thing, this one thing in all of Christianity is not true, go home. This retreat is pointless if Jesus is not resurrected. He is just another dead guy. The thing that changes our lives is the fact that Yes, he did die on the cross for our sins, and then he defeated death and your enemy. He defeated your fear, he defeated your anxiety, and he defeated every single block that tries to come in your way to pull you away from your calling and your identity and your purpose. So when you feel like it's too much, he defeated that thing. And yet we sometimes still just miss it. One thing I love about this fact is it changes two major things for you. And the first thing is, is that it proves to you that God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you and that you have a purpose. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is in Matthew. And I feel like this communicates what a life of following Jesus should truly look like. And it's in Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30. And here, you can raise your hand if you want. If you don't want, you don't have to. If there's, like, people around you that might judge you, if you raise your hand, that's fine. But it says, are you tired? Is anyone tired? Oh, my gosh. I'm tired. I slept, like, two hours last night. <laughs> are you tired? Are you worn out? Ugh. Are you burned out on religion? Don't let your leaders or pastors see. <laughs> Burned out on religion. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Get away with me at Sandy Cove. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. That means you have a life to recover. To begin with, you have something to actually get back. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Who needs to learn how to take a real rest? <laughs> I know for me, when we go on vacation, it takes like two weeks to be able to like get into vacation mode. And then we're back home working in normal day life and laundry and everything else. <laughs> he says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who feels like they know that that's true? They know that they're meant to, like, you know you're meant to live differently. Like, and I'm going to talk about this more in the breakout session, but how many of us feel like sometimes our Christianity is missing something? Like, I'm pretty sure I should be more joyful, maybe, or just maybe having a little bit more peace. 
maybe some more patience, or just basically a nicer person. <laughs> and we know that Jesus offers us things, and then yet we still go through day-to-day life and we, we feel stressed, we feel worried, we, we wonder how we're going to get through, and if the promises and the desires in our heart are actually ever going to happen. And we think sometimes like, oh, well, it's really like just a lucky select few people that get to actually live out their dreams and callings. And then the rest of us just have to like serve and work hard and make it happen for them. Has anyone ever believed that? I have. I was like a volunteer staff member at a church for three years and that was just weird. (laughs) I was like, okay, I've done everything to make everyone happy. Just please like believe in me. And it didn't matter because Jesus believed in me. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus actually wants your desires and passions to happen more than you do. Isn't that crazy? And so he says, walk with me. If you want the life that God promises you, the difference between maybe your circumstance and these people that you see that you admire, is they've learned to walk with Jesus. Some of my favorite speakers and like evangelists in the world they, they have sacrificed so much. They've gone through so many trials and so many, like, difficult situations and learned how to walk with Jesus on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Like Carol was saying with her story, like, she didn't want that situation to happen to her. But it taught her, okay, today I have to learn how to walk with Jesus. When I go into that hair salon... Right now, Jesus, where are you? I have to walk with you because I can't handle what's actually happening, but I need a Savior that can. One of the things I always think about is how hard it is sometimes to walk with someone. My husband is the fastest walker on the entire planet, and literally I'm always like, Parker, wait up, wait up. And I also always wear heels that are way too high. And... He's always like, oh my gosh, I'm walking so slow. But the thing is, is the beauty about walking together is you get to experience life together. We get to say, oh my gosh, look at that restaurant. We should go try that sometime. Oh, like what did you think about last night? And you get to talk and enjoy life and process it. Could you imagine if my whole relationship with Parker was just relegated to like one hour of quiet time in the morning? Like, that's not walking together at all. And I was like, Parker, you promised to love me. And you promised that we would have an amazing life together. And, you know, that one hour in the morning, like, I'm not seeing the fruit of everything you've said throughout the rest of the day. And he was like, well, where were you all day? And I feel like a lot of us are wondering why our lives don't look differently but we put Jesus like in this little tiny corner of our lives. But he is, he's wanting the whole thing. And so I love that Jesus answers the biggest question that we have as humans. And it's who am I and what am I supposed to do? Because we all know that we're someone and we, have, we love personality tests. That's like how Leah and I first bonded. <laughs> she was like, Jesse, do you know about Myers-Briggs? And I was like, no, tell me. <laughs> and we just loved like discovering who we were and spiritual gifts and all of the millions of te- strange finders and the 8,000 things that tell you who you are. And then we love figuring out, okay, what is your calling? Well, you should join my small group and we'll read a book about discovering our calling. And we will all figure out why we are on this earth. And then I read Ephesians and I was like, huh, it's all in there. It's crazy. It says in Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, it says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. That might be like the one verse that some people in this room need to know. It's in Christ. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. 
had designs for us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. So guess what? You want to know who you are and what you're called to do? It's in Christ. That's it. You learn how to walk with a real resurrected Jesus who is fully alive. And guess what, too? He's working this out in everyone and everything. So that means that that person that you hate, that you cannot forgive, he has a plan and purpose for them. That sometimes is, like, annoying. <laughs> but it's true. I, um, has anyone in the room ever, like, done any kind of, like, theater or drama or anything like that? Some actors and actresses? Okay, so when I was younger in seventh grade, um, we had, like, our first school play. And it was the first school play where you weren't just, like, given a role. <laughs> you had to audition. And I used to sing when I was little. And I was so excited. Like, The Wizard of Oz is a pretty cool play to do in school. Like, it's better than, like, Hello, Dolly or something like that. Because everyone had seen The Wizard of Oz. So I was so excited. And my best friend, Courtney, was also a singer. So we went to the auditions. And, like, in seventh grade, you're so awkward and insecure and everything else. And so everyone's, like, watching everyone do the auditions. So my friend Courtney goes before I do, and she sings Somewhere Over the Rainbow, like the best a seventh grader could sing that song. And I remember thinking like, gosh, the teachers really liked how Courtney sang that song. Now, Courtney was a soprano, so that means she sang really, really high. And I was an alto, which means I sing kind of low. So after seeing the teacher's reaction to Courtney, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to sing it like Courtney did because they really liked it. So I get up, and I'm not going to demonstrate to you how I sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but it was someone with a low, raspy voice singing it very high. <laughs> and I remember looking at the teachers thinking, why, why are they not making the same face that they did with Courtney. Hmm. So after the audition, they, the next day they posted on the wall the, the different roles. And like I would say probably half my class like auditioned. And I'd had solos before in chorus, so I was like, this is kind of a shoe in It's going to be awkward conversation with Courtney, but like <laughs> basically like when we sang Lion King, I had the solo for that, so this is really going to be obvious. <laughs> so I walk up, and I walk up very confidently, and I see Dorothy, which is obviously the best role, and you get, like, the dress and all the attention. And I see Courtney. I'm like, well, she does have brown hair, even though I could wear a brown wig, but fine. So I'm like, well, I obviously got Scarecrow, because I have blonde hair, and I am the other best singer in our grade. And I looked down, didn't get Scarecrow or the Tin Man. So I definitely had to get the lion, right? Less singing, but still kind of a cool costume. No, not the lion. So I'm reading the list and I'm like, where's my name? And I'm... I'm like, I had to get, like, a munchkin roll <laughs> or something. <laughs> like, I, like, am an all-county chorus and Nisma, and I do, like, all the things. And I'm looking, and all of a sudden, on the bottom of the list, I see something very, very confusing. It says, Dancing Poppy, Jesse. And... Uh, I honestly rip the paper off the wall, and I run to the chorus room, and I'm like, did you guys make a new starring role? Because I've seen the movie, and I don't remember this character. And they're like, oh, Jesse, 
we actually created a special role just for you. I was like, well, I like that. I like special. They said, we know what your role is. We know that you were a dancer growing up. So when Dorothy is on the way to the Emerald City, you're going to wear green tights and a green leotard and a red tutu around your head in seventh grade. And you're just going to dance around Dorothy as she sings on her way to the Emerald City. This role has never been created before. It's special just for you. I thought I was actually going to die in that moment. <laughs> Dancing poppy. I came home, and I honestly was like crawling into my house. I was like, oh, I'm a dancing poppy. I'm gorgeous, stupid Dorothy, and I hate her, and she's ugly, and she's not even a good singer, and I'm supposed to be Dorothy, and I'm a poppy. My mom's like, what's a poppy? And I'm like, I don't even know. And I have to wear green tights and green leather. My mom's like, where are we going to get green tights? I'm like, this is not what's important right now. And I'm losing it. And I'm like, the guy Chris who I like in my class is a tin man, and he's going to see me in these green tights. And I have to wear a tutu on my head. And I'm losing it, like total meltdown. And my mom says to me, she goes, okay, you need to chill out. And my mom's a lawyer, so very, <laughs> she's like, you need to calm down right now. Sing, sing for me the song that you sing. And I said, okay. So I sang the song, and she goes, oh, my gosh, stop, stop. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, why would you sing it like that? I've heard you sing this song a hundred times. And I was like, yeah, of course you sang it. And they loved it. And she's like, but that's not how you sing. That sounds awful. And I honestly wish some celebrities had my mom. Because some people need to know, like, you're just not talented. And, like, you should become a lawyer or something <laughs> and not be on television. Um, but she was like, that, that was awful. That was really just not good singing. And that's why I think you're a dancing poppy. And, <laughs> and I was like, but, but what about everything, my dreams and everything? And she said, Jesse you probably would have gotten a role if you sang it how Jesse sings it. And she said one thing to me that I will never, ever forget. She said, Jesse, God can't bless who you are not. God cannot bless who you are not. And I'm here to encourage you today that many of you have passions and ideas and things that God is asking you specifically to do and no one else, and maybe people don't even understand it, and it makes no sense, stop comparing yourself to everyone else and walk with him. Walk with him. Learn how to live freely and lightly. Learn how to do your best audition song with Jesus. Learn how to do your passions, your giftings, your callings with the one that created you and gave them to you. So many of us are trying to live out our lives without the author of life. And it is very, very, very hard. And if you're looking at someone else around you and you're thinking, they have the life that I deserve, I promise you, you will never have the life you deserve. Because that life is made specifically for you and it will require your own sacrifices and your own journey to get you there. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe this is one of the most powerful verses in scripture. And oftentimes we just read over it and we're like, Oh, faith is like a Pinterest quote, and it's just a great thing to put on our fridge. And the thing is, is this is where all the power is in what you believe. So 
I have a check here that a client sent to me, right? Now, could you imagine, like, if I just threw this out because I'm like, oh, it's a piece of paper? A check is a representation of, of something behind it. And the thing is, is that with evidence, has anyone ever, like, seen Judge Judy or a court case or anything like that? Okay, what happens when they bring evidence to a trial? Someone can actually shout out. What happens when they bring evidence to a trial? They win. Why? What, what does evidence do? It proves it. Okay, so what does Jesus say our job is to be? Are we lawyers or are we a witness? We're witness. God says, you don't need to argue your case about whether I'm alive. You're a witness that I'm alive. And guess what? A witness brings evidence. So if Jesus is alive, all right, come on this journey with me. If Jesus is alive and you are a witness and faith is the evidence of things not seen. So we don't have the benefit of like walking around the Sea of Galilee like the 12 disciples with Jesus. But Jesus is in fact alive. And there's evidence that he's alive. What is the evidence? Who is the evidence? We are the evidence that Jesus is alive. We are the evidence. So if people are tired of Christianity and church and religion, chances are we're bad evidence. And I know that like kind of stinks to hear, but I've been bad evidence before. I'm like... Jesus is alive. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I just have so much anxiety. And like, I don't know how I'm ever going to like pay my bills because my husband and I are so broke. But like, I love Jesus. Like, who wants to follow that Jesus? But once I honestly, honestly started to realize Jesus is really alive. And it's not just theology. It's actually like life transformation and he really is alive, I all of a sudden was like, oh, I have a two-month baby, and God wants me to move across the country and leave my full-time job and health insurance and go to California with no job, no money saved, with a two-month-old. We can do it because Jesus is alive. And do you know how many of my unsaved friends got saved from our move? And it wasn't because of my preaching in Manhattan. That much I can promise you. My friends in, like, the nightclub industry, they're like, oh, it's really cute that, like, you're preaching on Sunday. I saw it on Instagram. They didn't care. But they did say to me, you know what? It was really kind of crazy that you moved across the country with a two-month-old to start a church. And my husband and I, just from, like, our own, like, conviction with our conversation with God, we decided to not take salary from our new church because we, with the way our, our model is, it would just not work. And so we literally, like, had no money. And guess what? That's when you enter the realm of Jesus needing to be alive. Honestly, like, money just started coming out of weird places because we were following God. And business ideas started to come out of nowhere where I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and be like, Parker, this is what we need to do. We need to, like, write this thing or do this thing. And just opportunities like that started to happen because we learned how to walk with him. And he's like, guess what? I actually know how to make money. I can teach you. I'm not going to fail you because you followed me. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. It doesn't say, like, come follow me and everything in life is easy and awesome. Jesus, unfortunately, says, like, guess what? In this world, you're actually going to have trouble. And you're like, Jesus, that's not the inspirational message that I was looking to hear on this Saturday. And he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. But we are still living sometimes like he has not even overcome our Monday. 
and he is telling you to take heart. We do the things that we actually believe. If Jesus is asking you to pray for someone in the grocery store, do you feel bound up in fear? And you don't have to answer me right now. I just want you to think for a second. If Jesus said to you, well, you're just buying Kellogg's, you know, I want you to go and encourage that woman and pray for that woman. What is your initial response? Oh, not an evangelist. Oh, that's weird and awkward. What if she rejects me? What if I approach her and I have nothing to say? Who cares? Isn't it worth the risk if Jesus is telling you to do something? Because the safest place you could possibly be is in the kingdom of God. So even if she rejects you, and I've had people honestly tell me like, F you, I hate you, get out of my face. And I'm like, well, I follow God. So the best part about it is Jesus knows that when he tells me to do something, I'll jump. So even if someone rejects me, and even if I, if I get it wrong, Jesus knows the position of my heart. So he says, oh, Jesse will jump when I tell her to do something. She is so obsessed with following me. And that is the kind of life that God wants to offer you. And it's really, really exciting. It's a lot better than just reading a devotional in the morning. It's a life that's worth living. In John 5, 39, we read at the beginning of this verse, but I wanted to read it again, and this is Jesus. And uh, a lot of times this verse, I can't believe that it's Jesus because I'm like, this is not Jesus holding the children and the lamb. This is like maybe like tattoo on the leg revelation Jesus. But he says, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. So don't miss what I'm saying here. He's not saying that reading your Bible and scripture is wrong. But he's saying, what are you looking for? He says, you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. They're all about me. If you are reading your Bible and it is not ever provoking you or bothering you or you're having to repent or wrestle or call someone and ask for forgiveness or are challenged by things that it says, you're not reading the Bible right. It is meant to be wrestled with. The Holy Spirit is a really crazy teacher, and you can actually say, Holy Spirit, what is this saying? What the heck does Timothy, like, what is he supposed to do here? I don't understand how this applies to my life. And the thing is, is it should mess with your life. Your life should be changing as you're discovering who Jesus is. He says, here I am. Ladies, here he is, standing right before you. And you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. And then this is the kicker. He says, I'm not interested in crowd approval. King of kings and Lord of lords. And do you know why? Because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. I came with authority of my father, and you either dismiss me or avoid me. Guilty. Totally guilty. He has the authority to change the world. And I'm like, I, do, I don't have time. If another came, acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. Guilty again. I've gone to so many women's conferences where I'm like, oh my gosh, that preacher. They gave me the word that I just needed. And God's like, come walk with me. 
are you worn out? Yeah. And that preacher, she knew how to tell me how to rest. And I was like, walk with me? Well, Jesus, I kind of would like if we could narrow this down to a few points of how to walk with you. And he's like, no, walk with me. He says, how do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking your rivals, and ignoring God? This is like a hard word, but the truth is, is so many of us are just distracted. Honestly, it's not like we have like ill intentions. I don't believe that anyone in this room is like, I'm choosing to not have what Jesus has for me. I actually want to kind of struggle in life. Like no one, like no one's actually thinking that, but we just get distracted, right? We just get preoccupied. I mean, like, we have babies crying, and we have bills to pay and things to do. But I pray that if there's anything that you get today, it's not the words that Jesus is alive, but it's the power and the authority and the life that Jesus is alive. And he actually can transform your every single day. And your salvation, do not wait for eternity and wait till you die to receive the kingdom of heaven. One of my favorite things that Jesus says is like, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. It's right now. So like, if there's things going on in your life, guess what? You have authority to change those things. You don't need to wait for someone to change your situation for you. And one of the best things ever is when Jesus comes back from the dead and shows up to his disciples. He's like, here I am. And they're like, ah, it's a ghost. And he's like, no, like, I'm really real. Here I am. Like, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. And they're like, oh, he is real because ghosts don't eat food. And this whole thing happens. And he says to them the craziest thing. He says, peace be with you. Okay, what is resurrected Jesus talking about? Not how, like, he just went on this awesome, crazy adventure or how right he was about raising from the dead. He gives them peace. So first and foremost, if you are a Christian and you do not have peace, you're allowed to ask why. Because Jesus says, oh, here I am. Peace be with you. And guess what the enemy wants to say? Mm, no peace for you. How are you going to do what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Peace be with you. And then Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And I'm giving it to you. And the best thing he says, and it's so crazy. He says, if you forgive someone, they're forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, a lot of times we read that and we're like, okay, so we should forgive people. Like, we know that. No, no, no. What he is saying is what's been given to the priests and the leaders of the church and only certain people of certain authority, God is giving you that authority. Literally, Jesus is challenged all the time when they're like, who is this guy that forgives sins? Who does he think he is? And now he's saying, well, who do you think you are? Because you have the ability to forgive sins now. Because you are now a child of God. And you now are adopted into a family because I rose again. Because I raised from the dead, your whole life changes. And so I am begging you, do not settle for ordinary Christianity. Do not settle for the lies that your life needs to be a daily struggle. Yes, you will have trouble sometimes. But take heart, for he has overcome the world. So are we living as overcomers or victims of every single thing that has happened to us in our past? Are we evidence to a hurting and dying world that there is life and life more abundantly? 
Today is a really special day for me because today is actually the day that I got saved. Yeah. It's, I actually realized in the car ride over and I was like, Parker, tomorrow is, that's the day I got saved. And uh, I want to quickly tell you as I wrap up my story of how that happened. And I, I grew up in church and was like a really good Christian kid, was the president of like the Christian club in elementary school, which I don't even know what that is. But <laughs> um, I really like, I, I did love church and I loved God as much as I knew him. And when I was in high school, I honestly went through like bad situation after bad situation. So um, I was actually raped in Disney World, which is like the worst place for that to happen. Um, so they're like, it's a magical place. I'm like, prove it. Um, and then right after that, I got a rare disease called Hanak Sholein Purpura. You're like, I know what that is. You're a liar. Um, <laughs> and I was the only teenager in the world to ever have it. And it's an immunity disease where your body starts to, like, attack itself. And my intestines were telescoping and all this crazy stuff. So they had to put me on all these crazy steroids. My face blew up, and I was like, I don't believe in Jesus anymore because I'm ugly in high school. <laughs> and <laughs> I ended up getting better, but they said, like, it, there's a chance it could come back. So I always had to be really careful. And then I went to college, and I was like, forget everything my parents ever told me. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I joined a sorority and uh, just like really focused on like being popular and accepted, dated the president of a fraternity, like you just can't get more cliche college <laughs> than that. And honestly just really found a lot of affirmation in some other people, which I like did not have in high school. And so went through college and I was really good at throwing parties. <laughs> and when you're trying to make everyone happy, pretty easy to do. So I actually was offered a really prestigious job um, from Miami to come back to Manhattan and work in the nightclub industry. And the job that I was hired for, this is like, you're going to be like, this is a real job. I was hired to be in charge of making sure that cool people are at parties. Like, that's really like what was my job description. And so my job was to memorize like celebrities and know like influencers and stuff like that to make sure that when they came that they were like with the right people and if like people that were like not cool were in there to like kick them out it's like really weird and that's real so that's why our whole world is falling apart <laughs> so I I did this job for three and a half years in Manhattan um, I was dating a multi, multi, multi millionaire and taking private jets to Korea, like Louis Vuitton luggage, like all the things you think you want. And I was like, this life is awesome. And I was working so much. And so I started to do cocaine and just really anything to like just keep going. And um, I started to get depression and just lived in a constant state of anxiety. So like when people are like, oh, like let's chill. I'm like, what's chill? <laughs> I have no idea what chill is. <laughs> and uh, just constantly was going, 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 making everyone happy and just doing everything to like just keep the status going. Um, my boyfriend and I ended up breaking up. And uh, I thought we were gonna get married and everything. And my whole world like fell apart when we broke up. Um, and I had to move out of, like, our luxury apartment, and I ended up moving into, like, a one-bedroom apartment with a Korean guy named Gun that didn't speak English. <laughs> so don't send your kids to Manhattan unless you found the apartment first. <laughs> um, and honestly, like, everything that I was building up, this empire for myself, was, like, slowly crumbling. And I remember it was on St. Patrick's Day. I went out with my friends, and we were doing this huge St. Patrick's Day event. And it, it was, like, VIP, all this stuff. And we're at this, at this event, and I remember I'm at the bar, and, like, I always had, like, a big crowd around me. 
of people and like was always like, oh, shots for everyone, like let's have fun, blah, blah, blah. And my ex-boyfriend walks in and like, mm, I was kind of excited, kind of like really freaking out. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're like, I really hope like I still look good <laughs> because you always want to look good in front of your ex-boyfriend. But at the same time, you're like, I also wish you kind of were not here because now all of my focus is on you. And he walks in and he's like, Jess, I think we're supposed to be together again. And I was like, I think so too. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for everything that happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgive you. And I was like, this is the best night of my life. So we get into a limo. We're driving to my apartment, and all of a sudden he gets a phone call from one of his clients. And he says to me, he's like, actually, he's like, I can't come over and talk anymore. He's like, I, I have to go. And I was like, well, where are you going? And he's like, well, I have clients in from out of town, and so I have to take them to a strip club. And I was like, what? And, like, I was not following Jesus at this point. But I knew, like, your boyfriend going to a strip club is, like, still not good. <laughs> and so I was just like, you cannot go. No, you can't go. And he was like, no, I have to go. I'm going to the strip club. I have to go to clients. It's, it's really important. And I'm like, it's really important. We've been broken up and haven't spoken to each other in three months. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We have a lot to work through. We just got back together four hours ago, and you're going to just drop me off and go to a strip club? And he was like, honestly, like, we can talk tomorrow and get breakfast. And I was like, no, no, no. I jump out of the limo. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. And I just slam the door. I walk home just hysterically crying. And my heels were, like, way higher than these. And I'm just walking and crying. And it's like one of those moments where everything just starts to like blur together. And I stumble into my apartment. And I like did not care that I had a roommate. I just started like ugly crying. And have you guys ever cried to the point where you throw up? Okay, that's what happened. And I literally was like crawling on my hands and knees and was just like, like, oh my God, like all of the rejection, all of the abandonment, like everything was just like piled on top of me. And I like crawled into my bed and I closed the door and I honestly just like screamed as loud as I could into my pillow. And I was like, ah, like, like I honestly felt like my heart was just like tearing and I was picturing like the love of my life, like going to a strip club right now over like getting back together with me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is literally the most painful thing I've ever experienced. And I just screamed out to God. And I said, God, if you are real, take this pain away. And I like screamed. And then literally, I'm not exaggerating, all the pain went away. And I went, oh. And I was trying to cry, and I, like, I couldn't. <laughs> it was, like, it was, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm, like, oh. And then this is honestly the weirdest thing, and I have no way to explain it other than this is just what happened. I lived in the middle of Midtown, which is really loud in Manhattan, and all of the noise in the city went silent. And I had never, I was laying there, and all of a sudden I'm, like, oh, oh. And, like, outside my window, there's no noise, no cars, no people talking, no traffic. And I just felt this peace just, like, come down in my room. And honestly, my eyes were closed. I was afraid to open my eyes <laughs> because I could feel the presence of God so strongly that I was like, I think I'm going to die and go to heaven if I open my eyes. And I, I don't know if I'm ready to see God, like, face to face right now. And so I just held, sat there with my eyes closed, and I was like, oh, my gosh. God.
God, you're really real. And I just knew it in my heart. And I said, God, I need to have a relationship with you. I will give up everything in my life to have a relationship with you. And it was just like a tired, broken, worn out prayer that completely changed my life. And literally, I overheard someone in the park the next day talking about going on a year-long mission trip. And I quit my job in nightlife. I sold all of my designer things. And I lived on the mission field for a year. And uh, through that journey, God just showed me, like, how real he really was. And everything that, like, I had thought about him in religion was just not true. Like, I saw miracles happen, and I saw people, like, healed in Africa. I saw people, like, delivered of demons. I didn't even know demons were, like, a thing. And, like, I, I honestly couldn't believe it. And God was just talking to me so much about how much he loved me and then how much he loved other people. And when it says, like, weep with those who weep, I started to actually experience that, not out of, like, let me try to do it. I would see someone, and I would immediately just feel everything they were feeling and just start weeping with them and hugging them. And evangelism and preaching the gospel was so easy because it was so true. I didn't have to, like, muster up courage. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you don't know. You're so stressed out. And, like, you don't know how much he loves you. And you don't know how awesome it is to follow him. You've been deceived. And the worst thing about deception is, is you don't know you're deceived. You think that the life that you're living right now the status or jobs or money or whatever it is, is better than whatever he has for you. And it's just not true. And so I want you guys to close your eyes for a moment. And whether this is your first time ever deciding to follow Jesus and you're like, you know, I... I just want to, I want to become a follower of Jesus, and I want to start that journey today. Or, you know what, and I've had this happen a million times before. Maybe you've been a Christian since you were five years old. You've been baptized, and you, like, love God or the idea of God. But the truth is, is he's saying, here I am. Standing right before you, but you missed the forest for the trees. And I'm inviting you right now to become a follower of me. Not a follower of tradition or a follower of religion. Not a good Christian, but someone that is on this wild adventure with the king of kings. If that's you, and everyone can keep their eyes closed, just slip up your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. Pray, I see over here, 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 here. I think I got everyone. If I didn't see you, I see you here. Let me see you. I see you. If... You guys can put your hands down. And if you did not raise your hand, but you feel something burning within you right now, you don't even have to raise your hand for me to see. You can, like, raise it behind your back because <laughs> it's between you and God. But I just want to tell you, do not let pride prevent you from entering into God's mercy. So if that's you, and to be honest, you have not been truly following him. Today is the day for salvation. All right, so I'm going to pray for you if you raised your hand or you secretly did under the table. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you, that you're alive, 
and that you came to give us life. And that life starts now, that future starts now. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill this room right now. Jesus, I thank you that it says in scripture that you will give us a brand new life. And so I just speak life over this entire room right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that not only did you die for our sins and that while we were still sinners, when we did nothing, you still died for us. But not only did you do that, but you raised from the dead. I thank you that fear, anxiety, worry, depression, and all of the other lies that the enemy tries to throw at us have no authority in Jesus' name. I thank you that you have defeated death. And sometimes death just sounds like a whisper, but I thank you that you roar like a lion. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I ask that you protect every single person in this room. I pray that you turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh so that they could receive you fully. And I ask that you start to begin to take them on the hardest journey, which is a journey of belief in their head to belief in their heart. And I pray that every single person in this room would not just know of you, but they would know you. They would know you. And they will learn how to walk with you and come to you and walk freely and lightly. I ask for peace to come over this place. I thank you that you are healing people right now in this room of anxiety, fear, and depression. We put all our trust and all our hope in you, Jesus, the only name that can save. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.